You're listening to The Right Club Podcast, where the focus is all about helping you grow your real estate investment portfolio and live the life you want to live. Come grow with us and join our community at therightclub.com. And now your hosts, Sarah Larby and Alfonso Salemi. Hi, everyone, and welcome to this special podcast edition of Real Estate Investing in Canada from The Right Club. I'm Laurel Simmons, and I had the privilege of interviewing Benjamin Tal, the Deputy Chief Economist of CIBC. He's an extremely busy fellow these days, as I'm sure you can imagine. And I'd like to extend our thanks both to Benjamin Tal and to CIBC for allowing us access to his very valuable and limited time. I spoke to Benjamin about some of the issues that the small real estate investor is facing in these rather uncertain days. And as usually happens in our podcasts, our conversation ranged, and oh, how it ranged, from Christmas cookies to mortgages to deglobalization and to issues beyond our borders that affect us all. I hope you enjoy listening to this interview as much as I did participating in it. So welcome, Benjamin. Thank you so much for speaking with us, The Right Club. As you know, that we, uh, I don't know about you, but I'm really tired of hearing people say, oh, these times, these are unprecedented times. And it's like, okay, yeah, they're unprecedented, but we're still real people and we're still doing real things. And, and you're, you're a person sitting where you're sitting and I'm, I'm here in my living room uh, facing my kitchen. And you know what? I'm actually facing some Christmas cookies because my husband said to me the other day, I'd like to have some Christmas cookies. And I said, well, nothing else to do. Why don't I make some Christmas cookies? <laughs> so why not, right? We're doing things that we never thought we'd do here at the end of March. So let's get right into it then. You are the Deputy Chief Economist of the of CIBC, and I know you get a lot of questions that are broader in scope, but for the real estate investor, and our members are, the members of our community are, the little guys, right? We, some people own one rental property, some have five, some have 10, maybe a few have 50, but not, you know, very few have more than that. They're all going, now what's happening? So one, and one of the biggest concerns they have is with mortgages. And you know, the mortgages are the lifeblood of real estate investors. So, uh, and I know that the government is talking about relief for homeowners and renters, but you know, what can real estate investors expect from the bank? What are you hearing about that? Well, yes. So banks were very quick to announce that they are going to do a few things in order to ease the pain when it comes to mortgage payments. So at this point of the game, it's not very clear, but it's very possible that if you call the bank and say that you have serious problems paying your mortgage two months postponing, like you will be, your payments will be postponed for two months uh, before uh, they ask any other questions. That's a, a possibility they are working on it. It's not guaranteed, but that's the, the direction we might be going. And then uh, if, uh, you know, there is a significant reason to believe that you will not be able to service your uh, mortgage payments, you might be getting an extension up to six months. That's the plan at this point. But of course, in order to do that, you have to prove that you cannot survive, you cannot do, you cannot pay your payments, you know, you will let go or many other, uh, you know, um, things like that. So I think that's more or less where we are. We have to remember one thing, everything that we are doing, everything that the government is doing is basically trying to buy time. 
we all know that the next few months uh, will not be great. In fact, they will be very difficult. We all know that. You know, we are basically where Italy was a month ago. So the number of cases will rise, although we are not uh, Italy because our population is much younger and um, we have learned from their experience. Nevertheless, it's very clear that the number of cases will rise over the next uh, few weeks. So the next few months will not be easy. I think that, however, uh, for any investor, especially in real estate, we have to realize that this crisis has an end game. And the end game is a vaccine. So as opposed to many other situations in which you don't know where the bottom is, here we know there is basically almost a debt. A year from now, there will be a vaccine. In between, the next few months will be difficult. After that, with uh, the temperatures rising, we will see a reduction in the number of infections. That's what uh, many of the experts are predicting. And also by then we might have, in all likelihood, we will have some antiviral medications that will ease the pain and will uh, lower the amount of pressure that hospitals are facing. So at this point, we will go back to semi-normal. We'll still be working from home, many of us, not all of us, the way it is now, um, but uh, it will be semi-normal. And then the normal will be when we have the vaccine. So it will be in basically installments, if you wish, the back to normal trajectory. That's the way I see it. So what we are doing now, we're simply buying time. Governments are spending a lot of money to make sure that those people who lost their job or are sick will be able to continue to service their debt and be able to help themselves. Governments and banks are uh, working very hard to make sure that there is enough liquidity to the system. The central bank is basically injecting money into the system and they will do more. The Fed in the US is basically printing money. We call it helicopter money when uh, roughly $1 trillion will be sent to people in terms of checks. So we are doing things that we haven't seen before in terms of trying to stimulate the economy. Everybody knows that it's just a temporary situation and at buying time until we get the green light from the vaccine. So you mentioned a couple of things there. I mean, I saw what the Bank of Canada has, has announced a, a special liquidity fund for the big banks and, and this is new for them. And also, yeah, the, like the helicopter money. I think I find it really interesting that I'm not an economist and our members are not economists, but I find it interesting to read this stuff and go, okay, that's really interesting. We, we all know that printing money is not really the way to go, right? Because that just causes inflation. But in terms of money that's, that's available for, for the banks, that's, that's to come to them. And if they're in a sound financial position, as, as far as like my reading of, the, uh, of the, the Bank of Canada. But when we say riding the wave, like, because I heard you, I heard you use, this, the, use this term earlier in another interview that you did, you know, riding the wave to get through, say, the next three, four, five, six months. One of the things that I'm concerned about with people calling the banks, and I've seen some uh, stuff written about this, is that if you call the bank and say, I'm in trouble, uh, first of all, if you're not in trouble, that's not the thing to do, right? And the second thing is, if you're an investor, if you call the bank and you're in trouble, then there's going to be a record of that, that you're a risk, right? And that that might very well affect your ability to get financing down the road. Is that not true? Well, I'm not so sure because, uh, again, we have never seen something like this before, as you said earlier, which means that this is not a normal recession. And therefore, if you get into trouble at this point, this is not an indication of increased risk because we all know that uh, on a temporary basis, you will feel that and then later you will be fine. I think that uh, 
any investment will see these kind of things, like a company like Air Canada. You know, after this crisis, Air Canada will be able to get credit, yeah? Yes. So, so they're not high risk. They just for this specific situation, that's what happened. And hopefully it will not repeat itself. So I, I think that banks will be smarter than that. Um, so I don't think that's the issue. The issue is that you're absolutely right that there is moral hazard here in the sense that people will be calling and they don't need to be calling. And that's something that I hope will not happen, but it's possible. That's why banks are saying, let's go with two months and then we verify. Okay, well, that makes sense. That makes sense because I think people are reacting rather than proacting right now because things are being thrown at us so fast. We don't know what's going on. And I think we, the the co-founders, my co-founders and I at the Right Club are saying to people like, just take a breath, slow down, think before you do something and reach out to experts and talk to people. Don't just wildly react because when we react, we can do things that, that don't make sense, even in the short term. And in situations like this, so in terms of um, like the markets, and, and I think this is really interesting. I, as an economist, I, I'm sure you keep an eye on this stuff all the time, but I don't think some people realize that there's a difference between the market and the economy. Can you explain that? Yes, especially when you talk about the financial market and the stock market. The stock market is not really a reflection of the economy. The stock market is way ahead of the economy. So what the stock market is telling you now, namely, namely the decline in the stock market, is not what's happening now. It's what they expect in the future, the next two to three, four months. So what it means is that when we reach a situation in which uh, the economy is improving, the stock market will be improving way before that. Uh, we don't know exactly where the bottom is. There is no way of knowing. But the minute the market starts sensing that this uh, curve is flattening, then we will see a situation in which the stock market will start reflecting it in a big way while the economy is still in a recession. That definitely can be. So it's a totally different animals moving in different time zones. And it's, it's true, is it not, that like the stock market is, is more a reflection of people's emotions? I mean, yes, there's, there's the fundamentals of the business, but it, it, it's a more, more an emotional reaction to what's happening. Like people are afraid, so they sell stock, right? Absolutely, absolutely. Clearly, the fundamentals of the economy are much stronger than what is suggested now by valuations in the stock market. And that's why if you have a time horizon of one or two years, maybe you can find many, many good opportunities in the stock market. Market, although nobody knows where the bottom is. Simply, you cannot time it. Right. Certainly people who are in the stock market now and in the real estate market, we haven't seen anything like this. I mean, there are people who in their 80s and 90s, maybe who were alive in, uh, during the, the crash of, of 29, but very few and far between at this point. So this is all new for us. Having said that, though, there have been other crises, maybe not as deep as this, it's not as big as this, but we do get through it, right? I think that's That's something that we all have to remember. This is not going to last forever. That's exactly the point. In fact, we know when it will come to an end. (laughs) We have a date almost, yeah? And there is a global race towards, uh, you know, creating this vaccine. And we know that a lot of money, a lot of very smart people are working double shifts, if you wish, to make sure that this vaccine will be available. So it will be available as soon as possible. So we all know that. Every expert I talked to in the field told me, it's not a question of if, it's a question of when. Is it 12 months? Is it 18 months? There will be a vaccine. The minute there is a vaccine, this story is over. And in between, there will be a semi-recovery because there will be antiviral medications that will help to ease the pain. So the trajectory is almost clear. It's just the timing is not clear. Okay. And that's the gray area. We know it's going to end. We're just not exactly sure when, but we all have to 
be careful and prudent and, and get through this, this crisis. Cause in the long term, it, it's not going to last that long. It's, it's, it's a blip. Yes. It's a big blip, but 20 years from now, we'll be looking back and saying, remember when we went through that. Right. Exactly. Absolutely. It's a big event. It's something that will change the way we live. I think in many significant ways, one interesting way that maybe your listeners would be interested in is the deglobalization. You know, we are in a situation in which 90% of antibiotics in North America is coming from China, 90%. Right. And uh, all of a sudden, this uh, episode exposed this vulnerability. Many companies cannot function without getting this part from China. So you have a situation in which a $100,000 machine cannot be shipped because they're missing $10 uh, right. equipment from China. So this kind of situation will be a wake-up call to many governments and companies saying, listen, globalization is nice, but there is a limit to it. So Trump started the process of deglobalization, and this um, crisis will accelerate that process in a very significant way. So from a long-term perspective, that's one way uh, that uh, our lives will be changed. And of course, many other ways, especially the fact that we have to realize that we need to invest more in health in a big way. So to carry on a conversation about deglobalization, does that mean that, that you think that we will be taking back some of the, the, the manufacturing, as you say, that, that's done in China, bringing it back here so longer term we could actually see more businesses coming back, more manufacturing and more homegrown jobs? Is that kind of where you see this going? Yes. Yes, that's exactly the way I see it, although it's, it will not be reversing globalization altogether. That's not going to happen. It's too late in the game. Right. But I think that if you look at the situation five, seven years from now, you will see less globalization, not more. And you will see the emergence of two trading blocks, America and China. And in many ways, we are already starting this process. This virus basically accelerated that process. It's irreversible. But again, it's not the end of globalization. It's a different globalization, maybe at a lower level. Okay, so I mean, I'm just thinking about like even how this is going to affect universities and colleges and all the rest of it. Because right now, I mean, we know that in Canada we're facing a shortage of skilled labor, correct? Like we don't have enough people to do the to do the the jobs that were there now. So we're going to have to to bump up our educational systems and uh, and get those people uh, in there. Absolutely, and in the short term, something that uh, people really don't talk about: if Canada is closed internationally, it means that we're also not accepting new immigrants and non-permanent residents. That's something that will impact the rental market in the near future, unfortunately, because demand for rental units will go down due to the fact that we are not getting roughly 450,000 people when you include new immigrants and non-permanent residents. That's something that we have to take into account, at least in the short term, something that I haven't seen too many people talk about at this point. Okay, so if the demand, like we all know Toronto is uh, the, the GTA, the, the shortage of, of housing there, we could see a lessening of the demand, which frankly, I don't know about you, but I think that's a good thing because when, when you're in real estate and you, you look at investing in Toronto, most people just throw up their hands and say, I can't do it. And it's good for, I think, in the long run for, for the, that market to sort of relax and ease a little bit. It allows a little more of a normal market, whatever that is, um, in, in the GTA area. Exactly. I think that that's something that we have to think about because the GTA area is unsustainable. Uh, and although maybe the rental market needs a, needs a break, the only thing that uh, maybe is negative here is that what we need is more supply of purpose-built uh, apartment buildings. Okay. That's the future of uh, renting, in my opinion, in the GTA. 
and uh, to the extent oh, so that, exactly uh, what does that mean what, what does a, what do you mean when you say purpose-built uh, apartment building I, I mean as opposed to condos purpose-built okay. rental yeah okay rentals. So a, yes rentals because I think that that's the future of uh, the housing market in in uh, the GTA it would be rental as opposed to home ownership uh, because of the affordability issue and if that's the case we need more purpose-built rental apartments and any easing in demand might uh, lower supply, but that's uh, beyond the next few months. Right. And I, I would think, you know, as an extension of that, and, and I know that there's people that are working on, on policy areas all over the country in this, but like Vancouver or Toronto, where, the, where there's this huge pressure on housing, even, you know, allowing densification, intensification of existing land within the, within the city limits so that we can put those purpose-built housing and it doesn't necessarily mean 50-story apartment building it could be a six unit or an eight unit apartment building that would that would house eight families where normally there would be one i agree i think that we have to rethink the whole process of renting and i believe that the condo market cannot be the rental market and the rental market cannot be the condo market especially given the fact that the new wave of renters after this crisis is over will be young families that cannot yeah. afford Toronto and for them they need to deal with a company as opposed to a landlord. Right. So I have a question, I have a little bit of a turn here, but I have a question on interest rates because I've heard people talk about zero interest rate. I mean we're, I know pretty close right now what the central bank saying Point, uh, was it uh, 7.5? But zero interest rate and even a negative interest rate. Can, like, for heaven's sakes, what's a negative interest rate? And why would you yes. possibly want to do that? Yes, we see negative interest rates in uh, Japan. We see negative interest rates in the Eurozone. And some people speculate that we are going to negative interest rates in North America. I think that will not happen because uh, at one point the Fed is telling us Negative interest rates, and they're absolutely right, is actually counterproductive. It's actually hurting the economy. It's not helping the economy. It's making people saving more because they cannot reach the retirement uh, goals because their, uh, let's say, German GIC is giving them 0%. So they need to save more as opposed to consume more. And therefore, you cannot stimulate the economy by negative interest rates. So it's counterproductive. It's hurting the economy. Same goes for Japan. So I think that both the Bank of Canada and the Fed um, have very little appetite to get to negative. So they will take interest rates to as low as they can. In the US, they are there. In Canada, they probably will cut interest rates by 50 basis points, and that will be it. Then the next step will be what we call quantitative easing. Uh, both the Bank of Canada and the Fed probably will be doing it. Okay, so, because I'm still confused about negative interest rates. And, and, and in reality, how would that affect like the regular person, like me, like having a bank account? Is, and is it would the bank take money out of my account if it was a negative interest rate? If I had a savings yes, account? Extent, yes, you, you pay to keep the money in safe in deposit, basically, okay. as opposed to your mattress, under your mattress. Okay. So you basically pay for the protection. And the question is what the amount of money that you're willing to pay in order to get this protection. I really hope we will not get to it. It's not healthy by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah, I... I... I can't even imagine, like in terms of mortgages, what, what would happen if it was a negative interest rate? Like, would the banks just not offer? No, this, this, this does not happen. Then okay. uh, usually it's uh, on short-term deposits and, 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 and loans. Yeah. Okay. All right. So now I've heard, also heard you say that uh, in a previous interview, you know, there's going to be a reduction in the, in the gross domestic product. So first of all, can you explain to us exactly what the gross domestic product is? Because people throw that term around and I don't think they know what it means. 
Yeah, GDP, the gross domestic product, is basically the amount of goods and services sold in the economy. It's basically the barometer of how big the economy is and how bigger it gets. So the growth in GDP is basically the extra amount of goods and services being sold in the economy, and you can measure it in different ways. So when the, the, in a normal time, the economy expands, namely GDP expands, the amount of goods and services rise by inflation adjusted about 2% a year or something like that, just to give you a sense, in the next quarter, if you annualize the number, we are talking about negative 8%. So it's very significant decline. So the economy will shrink in real terms by 8% on an annual basis. Uh, so that's very, very important. And then probably will recover to about 0%, and then it will be some recovery in the fourth quarter. So that's the way I study the situation. So when, so when do we declare that we're in a recession? We are in a recession already. We don't need to declare it. Well, okay. <laughs> we are basically in a recession. Yeah. But, but, but again, what technically a recession is what? what two or well, three uh, You see, that, that's a very interesting question because let's assume next quarter we get negative 8%, okay? Okay. And then the quarter after, you get positive 1%. Right. So you do the average. Together it's negative, uh, you know, four and something, yeah? Okay. Now, some people say a recession is two consecutive quarters of negative growth. Right. And I say that's nonsense because if you have one quarter, which is very, very bad, that's enough to be a recession. Okay. So it's not, the technical aspect of it is irrelevant. We are in a recession now. It goes without saying. Okay. So I guess if, and so then if this quarter is negative, but the next quarter is positive, then if you do the averaging, yes, you're still in a recession, but it's you're coming out of it. You hope over, and you hope that you'll see the 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 curve go up over the next quarters, right? And then you're out of the recession. That's, that's the hope. That's the hope that the, most of the damage will be in the next quarter, namely the quarter starts April uh, until until basically June, and the June to September quarter will see some improvement, and then the last three months of the year will see some significant almost a V-shaped recovery, although it will not be as strong as it could have been otherwise, because again, we don't have the vaccine. And as long as you don't have the green light from the vaccine, we will be operating at reduced capacity for sure. Okay. So now I'm going to ask you a question and you may choose not to answer it, but I'm curious. I know that, you know, you're with CIBC, but there's many banks, not just in Canada, but all around the world. How much time do you spend talking to people, you know, your, your fellow economists in other banks around the world? A lot, a lot, a lot. We, we spend a lot of time talking to each other, basically exchanging views, absolutely. And, and you talk to like what, Australia and Asia and Europe and- it, Yeah, it we, we have a network of connection of people of around the world in Europe, in Asia, trying to get their sense, what they think, what they know, and basically try to get a sense of uh, really what's happening out there. Because you know, if you live in a place, you get a sense of what's happening there, even though everything is on the internet, not everything is on the internet. <laughs> Yeah, I know. And, and I, I lived in Africa for a while, you know, many years ago. Um, do you talk to any of the, the banks in, in Africa? Because, you know, we don't even hear about what's happening in Africa right now. And I think that's, uh, that's, that's an issue. But that's, 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 that's a good question. No, no, I don't have any contact there, unfortunately. I, I, just, I just think that this is a, an area of the world that we are all ignoring, and I think it, to our peril. I think that yeah. I think says a lot about us that we're not talking about that. But anyway, that just, just came into my head, so I just wanted to bring that up. So, okay, so last question then, comment. What, what can you tell us? Like, 
what are your last thoughts on this? What, what can you tell people that will just... I think that, I think that the most important message here is, again, we will go through, you know, it, it will pass. It will pass. And I think that we should not be surprised if the next few months will be something that we have never lived through before, something that uh, we will uh, be able to tell to our grand-grand-grandkids. Yes, <laughs> yes. They will be writing aces on those, uh, this the story of 2020, no question about it. But I think that the, the good story and the good news here is that, again, I think that's my main message here, that there is an end game to this, and that's the vaccine, and it's coming. Okay. Well, that's good. And it's, you know, as long as we hear voices of reason, and, and I don't know about you, but we, we've been telling people, members of our communities, don't listen to all the, the nonsense that's out there on social media. Go to trusted sources. Like, listen to this interview. Like, people who who know what they're doing, who know what they're talking about, and take it one day at a time. That's all we can do, right? Exactly. Well, thank you so very, very much. We really appreciate your time, and it was great talking to you. A pleasure. Thank you. Good luck. Okay, thank you. Bye. And now we're going to take a quick break to hear from one of our sponsors. Right, Club Nation, let's take a quick minute here to meet our sponsor for the week, Blackjack Contracting. They've been serving Niagara, Hamilton, and Brantford areas, and for the past three years, becoming the area's largest basement suite renovation specialist. That's right, and Blackjack works with real estate investors, both new and experienced, converting single-family homes into multiple legal suites and renovating properties to achieve their maximum potential and value. Absolutely, and they've completed over 100 units from Brantford to Niagara Falls, and everywhere in between. They handle everything from permitting and design to final cleaning before you list your rentals. And they also have fully licensed electrical contractors certified with the ESA and take jobs of all sizes. Make sure to check them out at blackjackcontractinginc.ca and also follow them on social media at blackjackcontractinginc. And they say investing can sometimes feel like the biggest gamble of your life, but when you have blackjack on your side, the house always wins. So now, back to the podcast. And now, back to the show. Hi again, everyone. All I can tell you is that after we finished this interview, I felt much calmer and more composed about what's happening out there. I think the biggest message for me, and probably for almost everyone else, is that it's best for all of us to stay calm, stay the course, and remember, whatever we're going through will end. Again, my thanks to Benjamin Tal and to CIBC. We really appreciate the time that Benjamin took out of his busy schedule to talk to me. And as usual, if you like what you heard, share the link to this podcast with your friends and colleagues. We always appreciate hearing from you. And you can reach me directly at laurel at therightclub.com. And we also appreciate it if you rate our podcast on your favorite platform. The more you spread the word about the content we offer, the easier it is for people to find us and to listen to us. And as always, check out what's happening at therightclub.com. We have lots of events coming up, so go on there and, and find out what's coming up. Until next time, for The Right Club, I'm Laurel Simmons, and I'm signing out. Bye. Thanks for listening to The Right Club Podcast and joining our community of real estate investors online at therightclub.com, where the focus is about helping you grow. We look forward to seeing you again next week. Thanks from your hosts, Sarah Larby and Alfonso Salemi.